0: Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi sweet Jacobson with the NRM Streamcast. And we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. If you'd like to call into the show, you can always call us at 844-999-9249. That's 844-999-9249. Or you can send a question or comment to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com. And of course, I will answer as many as I can get to. Uh, you know, I saw just a, a very simple but beautiful, um, and even we call it a muscle or a parable or a thought with a story. And, and that is, um, we've all been on airplanes. Maybe now we don't like airplanes as much as we used to like airplanes. And a little bit I like airplanes even less because I was supposed to travel with my family to the East Coast. I actually had a flight tomorrow morning. Um, I was going to be on Spirit and I was supposed to go from Detroit to Philly, ah, seven o'clock flight, takes whatever it is, an hour and a half, two hours to get there. Very inexpensive, like so cheap, it was cheaper to fly my wife, my kids on the round trip than to drive. Except, um, I get an email from Spirit and they inform me that my direct flight from Detroit to Philly. Um, now has a stopover in Orlando. I mean, I don't. know They don't just fly me out to um, I don't know to L.A. first. Which so instead of landing in Philly at eight thirty, quarter to nine, now I'm going to land in Philly quarter to one, one o'clock. Now all of a sudden we're talking, you know, on a Friday, and I got to make sure I get to where I'm going before the Sabbath. And uh, any little glitch, and I could and it's not terrible to be stuck in Orlando for a Shabbos, but that wasn't the plans. So we'll probably drive. But, um, okay, that's just talk about airplanes. So you've all been on airplanes, and there's such a thing that uh, when you're on an airplane, sometimes there's turbulence. Right, The plane goes up and down and shakes a little bit, and if there's really bad turbulence, the plane is really shaking all over the place. So imagine for a second... Crazy imagination. Imagine for a second the pilots say, oh, I hate this turbulence. This turbulence is so annoying, so troublesome, I'm just going to turn the plane off. That way we'll just be done with it. Right? That, of course, is ridiculous. right? Because what will happen? Uh, the plane will, of course, uh, forget the turbulence. The plane will go straight down. So there will be no more turbulence, but the plane also won't survive. Or anybody on the plane. It's really no different with our lives. There are things that happen in our lives that we... There's turbulence. Look, look what's going on now in the world. The world is just a crazy place. There's a lot of turbulence out there and there's a lot of suffering out there. And there's people that have died and there's people that are sick and there are people that are unemployed. A lot of people unemployed. So what do we do? Do we just turn it off and let everything crash and burn? Or do we do like a plane does when it goes through turbulence? You just keep going. Once you get through the turbulence, everything is fine. And that becomes the lesson that we always have to keep, you know, in the back of our minds. There's turbulence. There's suffering. There could be difficulties. You got to keep going. Because like the plane, eventually you're coming out of that turbulence. And eventually you're going to have a smooth landing. But you got to keep going. And therefore, we're going to keep going. So, this week's Torah portion, there are so many different topics that I want to touch on. I even reordered the number on my notes because I, I, I don't know which one to talk about first. So let's talk about something fascinating. We have a story in this week's Torah portion about two tribes that wanted to be different than everybody else. So let's go through the story. Last week, the um, the Jewish people with Moses in the leader getting closer to the land of Israel, and we've been asking different nations permission to go through their land, and we're not getting a good response. So we have, but there's two nations that officially their job was to protect um, the Canaan, the land of Canaan, from us. And that was the the Sihon and Og, two big giants. They may have been brothers, one by the name of Sihon, one one by the name of Og. And each one separately came out to do battle with us. And in each case, case, Moses leads the charge, and he completely annihilates these two nations. And we now are in possession of a huge piece of land. Not like, you know, a couple hundred acres. We're talking countries the land of Sihon, the land of Og. Um, it's, I guess it's trans-Jordan. It's on the other side of the Jordan River. It's, uh, it goes pretty high north. And is it nowadays modern Jordan? Is it part of Syria? Probably. Probably that's where it is now. Part is the land of Israel, um, but a lot is probably Jordan. A big, huge area. And interesting enough, two tribes, the children of Ruvain, and the children of God both come together, respectfully. They come to Moses and they say, you know, so all this beautiful land here. Um, we have a lot of sheep. We have a lot of animals. And this is great pasture grazing land. We would like this to become our inheritance. We know that we've been traveling in the desert for 40 years so that we can go ahead and enter the land of Israel You other tribes can take the land of Israel. We'd like our portion to be right here. Okay, now we're going to get more deep into this, but I got to get into the story first. Moses lays into them. He says, what is with you people? Don't you remember that the spies were sent out 40 years ago? They came back. They scared the Jewish people. The Jewish people cried, and God said, you cried for no reason. You're going to travel in the desert for 40 years. Now we're finally on the edge. We're right next to the land of Israel. And you two powerful—now these were two powerful um, tribes. Reuben and God were considered the elite soldiers. And you guys are going to say you don't want to go into the land of Israel. You're going to scare everybody else. Who knows how many years God's going to take until he lets us go into the land of Israel now. How could you do such a thing? What, what, what are you thinking? Now It's interesting. Um, the children of God and Reuven could have told Moses right away that he misunderstood. They they were going to help conquer Israel. They just liked this land better. But they actually stood there and took it. They they took the, as we say, the Musa Shmuz. They took the rebuke. Uh, there's a famous story with, uh, I believe, um, could, it should have been the the, um, the Rebbe and the Svas Emes. Um, the Gerar saw that his son came late to prayers one morning. So he called him into his office, and he lambasted him. And when he when he finished, he came out. So Asamis comes out, and his study partner says, why don't you tell your father that, you know, usually you're on time. You studied. You got stuck on something you were studying. It was 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning when you finally figured it out. You collapsed. You, you had studied so late the night before that you were you woke up late because you barely slept last night. So the Sarasemah says, and lose the opportunity to get rebuke from the great Gareba. So the same story over here. The B'nai Gud, B'nai Ruvain said, the children of God, the children of Ruvain said to lose the opportunity that the greatest of the great, Moses, he wants to rebuke us and we we shouldn't listen. Why lose the opportunity? Now that's, a beautiful explanation. However, unfortunately, by the time I finish, we're going to have a lot of problems with the children of God and the children of Uvayn. But okay, let's uh, let's see what we can get. So they say to Moses, "No, no, no, no. We'll build corrals for our animals. We'll rebuild these cities we destroyed. We'll make walled cities for our children, and we will lead the conquest into the land of Israel. We are not scared at all of entering the land of Israel. We will lead the charge." We will be the soldiers on the front line, and we will not come home. No furloughs, no vacations. We will not come back till all the other tribes have conquered and set up their uh, who lives where and what, and everything's taken care of. Then we'll come back. That actually takes 14 years. So Moses says, okay, no problem, but he changes the order. They said, we'll build corrals for our animals, and we'll build cities for our children and wives and, and our women. So he said, Moses says, no. first you take care of the children. You're, you're a little bit confused of what has precedence, what's most important. Your families are most important. Your money is secondary. So first you'll take care of the children and your wives, and then you'll take care of your animals. And as long as you're willing to lead the way— Uh, Then you'll get to divvy up this land. Interesting enough, um, in this latter part of the conversation, half of the tribe of Manasseh is also thrown in. And the reason is Manasseh was known for his love for Israel. And if the tribes would be split on uh, half on one side, half on the other side, it would make sure that Reuven and God had a connection with Israel itself. And by the way, they they did keep their part of the bargain. When Joshua becomes the leader and he brings the Jewish people into the land of Israel, the children of Reuben and God go to Joshua and they say, "Hey, don't forget. We're coming in to fight. We said we're going to lead the battle if anybody makes any problems with you, Joshua, you let us know. We'll make sure it doesn't remain a problem. You are the leader, no one We'll start up with your leadership. And it is interesting. Um, unlike uh, Moses that has different people that are fighting to, for his leadership, like with Korach we had a few weeks ago, nobody starts up. Now Joshua's reign is not very long. It's pretty much those 14 years. And after that, he's, uh, he's pretty much done. Okay. But now let's take it back. Now let's re-look at the story and, and analyze what the B'nai Gud and B'nai Ruvain were actually doing. In other words, people need to be careful. When we ask for things, when we, when we request things, sometimes we got to look deep into the question, and sometimes you yourself don't even realize what you're asking for. We need to evaluate. What were they asking for? So Moses is angry. Now, he has to be angry. It's a big deal. They want to have the land over here. Find out if they're willing to go fight. Like, what are you getting angry? There must be something, something terribly wrong with this request. And there's actually five things that are wrong with this request. Number one, and we're going we're gonna to get into each one, okay? Number one, it shows that they are very materialistic, that they care very, very much about money. Which is interesting because next week I have a, a whole uh, conversation that I, that I want to have that many of them were not materialistic and they had the opposite problem. So we're going we're gonna to talk about it. But for B'nai God, B'nai Ruvain, and we're not even discussing why it seems they're so much wealthier than everybody else. Like where they get all these sheep from. It's, they must have such an overabundance where to come from. So it's an interesting question. The rabbis deal with it. I don't want to deal with it right now, but they're they're overly materialistic. That's number one. They want to shirk. That's a good word. Their communal responsibility. They have a secular attitude towards Israel, which is again an interesting thought. We were going to do a lot of talking about Israel today. It didn't work out with my guests. Um, Hopefully, we'll catch up with them probably in about two months from now, but um, we'll see what happens. Um, they also are separating from everybody. And it would seem they have a disdain, another big word, thank you, two big words in a row, they would seem to have a disdain for the land of Israel. So what's going on? So they are very wealthy people, obviously. If they wouldn't be very wealthy, then of course they'd run to Israel. People always make fun, right? In other words, you know, the rabbi—it's the poor rabbi. So the rabbi who has no money, so he of course wants to spend all his time and you know, and study Torah. But if he would be a wealthy guy and he'd have his mansions and his cars and his boats, he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't be so involved in the Torah study. Which is, by the way, true. Right? It's an unfortunate fact, but for the most part, it's pretty true. So you have two people that were famous in history: Korach that we talked about a couple weeks ago. He starts up with Moses, and we have the famous Haman, right, on Purim. Both of these two people were, were were the billionaires of their time. They were the wealthiest people of their time. And because they had all that money, so they they don't go along with everybody else. They want to start up with the Jewish people. It's very, very interesting. So the B'nai Gub, B'nai because they have all this wealth... They completely lose focus on on what's supposed to be important. And right? let's let's take a step back. Why is Israel important? I have this great book in my bathroom because that's the best place to read. Everybody knows that. Um, it's like thirteen hundred pages long, and it's called the Empty Wagon, um, and it's all about Israel and what's important about Israel, which you would think should take you know twenty pages, thirty pages. It's thirteen hundred pages. I read. I can only read two or three pages at a time, because it, it's just a slow reading book. I'm actually, I'm so confused. I'm either on my second or third round. It's been in my bathroom for so many years already. Um, and what happens is books pile up on top. And when I get to the bottom of the pile, I open it up again. It's it's one of those books. Anyways, the the purpose of the land of Israel is for the Jewish people to become closer to God. Again, that's our timely situation with the three weeks and the ninth of oh, the tisha of coming up i right? the purpose of the land of israel is so we can become closer to god and serve god it is a it, its purpose is completely religious its purpose is there's so many commands um when i grow my 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 grain and my vegetables I have after my tithing and and i can bring the sacrifices in the temple and i have to make sure i'm pure because otherwise i can't bring my sacrifices and i if i'm a priest i can't eat the tithes so there's there are so many commands in the torah probably the bulk of them i guess if you sit down and really figure it out the bulk of the commands only apply in israel and when there's a temple which of course we have neither Right? So we, we don't have the purity. We don't have the sacrifices. We, we do have laws as far as the tithing. By the way, we can't really give it to the Kohen to eat because he's not pure, so we have other issues. That is really the main purpose of Israel. The purpose of Israel is not that I can make a good living there. Right? B'nai Gub, B'nai Ruben is saying, Oh, I got a lot of money. Since I got a lot of money, I don't need to go into Israel. Yeah, but the purpose of the land of Israel is not because. You need to earn a living, right? If that's what it was for, bnei go, Rubin are right, we we got our money, we got our land, we're all good. It's not having your land, it's not having a place where you could plant and make farms and vineyards. It's not a place where your cattle and sheep can graze. It is the land of Israel is a place to become close to God. So their wealth first thing that happens is because they're wealthy, because they care about their money, so they don't need Israel. I got my money. I got my land. Which automatically leads to the second problem. The second problem is, as I'm calling it, a secular attitude towards Israel. They are missing the boat. The land of Israel is to become closer to God. It's to become more spiritual. It is not because they are world leaders in inventions and computers, and you know, we we know all the hundreds of things they've made—ways and 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 medical and cancer and stents—and who knows all the stuff they've made out there that the world benefits from. All beautiful, all important, but not the main focus. The main focus is to be able to serve God properly. If you can't serve God properly, there—that's why we've been in exile all these years. What is that? So they have their money. They now have a secular attitude towards Israel. They also um, don't have communal responsibility, right? In other words, the request said, you know, we're happy to stay here, Moses, um, and give everybody else the land of Israel. You, you, you need to be part of a community. You need to be part of a whole. It was so interesting yesterday. Um, the Shulai Davin, they're doing construction now. It's perfect timing. They can go from a basement to upstairs. There'll be more air. It'll, you don't have to worry about the, the virus floating around as much. So we're in a tent right now. So, uh, you know, but not everybody's come back to pray. So there are people that are not coming back so fast, right? Where is your sense of community, right? It's true we're not in the building where we're supposed to be. But what are you doing at home praying? Because that's what you get used to over corona. Where is your communal responsibility? And it's even more than that. They actually separated themselves you ten tribes, that'll be nine and a half, you go back into the, you get the land of Israel. We'll be over here by ourselves. They separated themselves. Which, by the way, led to the fact that they were the first of the two tribes that were taken away by the king called Sancheirv to never be seen and heard of again. That was the ten tribes split from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And those ten tribes go into exile, but Ruvain and God go into exile earlier because they've separated themselves. By the way, it's also part of this week's Torah portion, which we're not gonna get into, but you have cities of refuge. A city of refuge means that if somebody um, murders somebody by accident, um, the only way to be protected from the family coming to take revenge is to go to what's called a city of refuge, and that's where the murderer who murdered by accident has to stay um, till the high priest dies. Now, without getting to the details, Accident doesn't mean what you call accident. It, accident probably means what you call accident. And was, in Hebrew, we call it a shogeg, Meaning, you didn't do it on purpose, but you should have been more careful. right? If obviously it was completely out of your control, we're not talking about that case. We're talking about a case where you were a little negligent. You didn't do it on purpose, but there was a negligence. Because in negligence, your punishment is you're going to your own exile to these, to these cities of refuge. There were the same amount of... There were, there were six main cities of refuge, and then another 42 spread out over Israel. There are three of the main cities of refuge in the land of Israel, and three in this area of Reuben and Gud. First of all, because they have a lot of land. But second of all, the fact that they separated, the fact that they didn't have community responsibility, the fact that they had a poor attitude, they had a secular attitude towards Israel, the fact that they were materialistic, all these things caused that there were going to be more murders, not on purpose, but there would be more murders in their area, and they needed to have more cities of refuge, even though percentage-wise, population-wise, it's they're they're a sixth. But they needed more of those cities of refuge, which is really amazing. And not only that, I told you they had a secular attitude towards Israel. They obviously had a disdain towards Israel. Otherwise, um, why don't they want to go in? Why are they so fast to say say, we're happy to stay right here? They should say that we want to go into Israel. We'd like this land. It's very good for our grazing, but we also want Israel. How do we do both? So this is a lot of stuff that that puts the children of Reuven and the children of God in a poor light, and unfortunately, deservedly so. So you see, when a person says something, His words are powerful. And sometimes when you're asking for something, you need to be careful. What are you asking for? When B'nai God and B'nai Ruvain say, we don't want to go into the land of Israel, they're actually um, demonstrating with that statement that we are materialistic, we don't like Israel, we don't like the religious part of Israel, we don't like being part of a community, we don't like... Um, sharing responsibility, all that stuff gets wrapped around um, their their statement. Um, I don't have too much time left, but I do have enough time left for a story that happens to demonstrate responsibility. When we talk about leaders, when we talk about leadership, there's a level of responsibility that just a couple meetings um, doesn't doesn't cover it. What do I mean? So there was a great rabbi, I believe his name was Rabbi Shlomo Salanter. And at one time he was visiting another you know, city, had many students with him, and it came to his attention that um, there was it's called it was called the hektish. The hektish meant that there was usually a, like a building or an area in the synagogue that the poor people would sleep in. What you would say for the homeless, the homeless uh, were in an area and it was run down and when it rained it leaked. And it was cold, and it was damp, and it was dark. And he came to town. He said, what are you guys doing about it? Oh, you know, we've had some meetings. Uh, We're trying to figure out what we could do. And so Salander marched into the Hectish, opens up his his Talmud, and he starts to study. And it starts to rain. And it's raining on his head. And the students are going crazy. They said, come on, Rabbi, you can't be here. It's raining. It's dark. It's musty. He said... Until the leaders of this town will fix this room, I'm not leaving. Huh. You can't let let a great rabbi be in that room in that environment. So the the um, so the community got together, came to beg him. He said, "I'm not leaving. You guys are lazy. You're not showing your care and concern like we talked about before. Your care and concern about these people. When you are ready to show your care and concern, you let me know." And I'll get out. And they immediately got the money together. They said, look, we have the money. We're going to start hiring people. We're going to take care of it. That's leadership. That shows community. That shows care and concern. And here comes my music. So I hope you've enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you again, as always, to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team. We have David and Angel behind the glass. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I'm Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast, and until next time, don't forget to think about it. There's a house we.